You are listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, please visit GoCentralChurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ethan Crowder. Good morning. It's good to see you today. If you have a Bible, go ahead and meet me in Colossians chapter 1. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 is where we're going to be. So that's in the middle of the New Testament. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, or as I learned in Sunday school, go eat popcorn. Uh, So uh, Galatians chapter, or sorry, Colossians uh, chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. And uh, today we're going to kick off a new series over the next few weeks. Uh, We're going to be looking at Jesus. Last week we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. And uh, over the next few weeks, we're just going to be taking some time uh, to look at Jesus. And so we're calling this uh, this teaching series, Jesus Is, and each week we're going to fill in the blank. I wonder, uh, did any of you or have you ever played Mad Libs before? Uh, maybe you're a fan of Mad Libs. I, uh, I grow, grew up with, uh, had a book of Mad Libs where uh, you would, they'd have a sentence and then a blank and it would ask for a noun or an adjective or an adverb. And typically I didn't know what an adjective or an adverb or anything like that was. And so my mom was an English teacher, and so she would tell me, hey, this is the word you're looking for, uh, those kind of things. And so uh, this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to spend some time uh, filling in that blank, Jesus is, and we're going to look at this, that Jesus is eternal. Uh, that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. In fact, as we look here at Colossians chapter 1, we're going to see this truth, that Jesus is the eternal Son of God, and that is eternally good news for us. Jesus is the eternal Son of God, and that is eternally good news for us. So uh, I hope you have found Colossians uh, chapter 1. If you haven't, we'll have the words on the screen. Let me invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's perfect and precious word uh, here in Colossians chapter 1. Starting in verse 15, the Spirit says to us this, He, being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all, th- all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Uh, This is God's word. You can be seated. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, thank you for your word that is true. And so, Father, I pray this morning that we would have, that we would see Jesus clearly. So, Lord, speak to us now. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Uh, well, as we look here at Colossians 1, we're going to see a few, a few truths about who Jesus is and what he has done. Uh, the first truth we see is this, is that Jesus is the point of everything. Jesus is the point. Jesus is the purpose of everything. Everything has a purpose, whether uh, uh, alive or not. Everything in creation, everything in the universe has a purpose, and that purpose uh, is to bring glory to God. That that purpose is to make the glory of Jesus known, to to spread the glory of Jesus far and wide. And here, what Paul does is he starts unpacking for us, uh, all right, what does this purpose mean for us? So how does this purpose apply? How does this purpose affect us? And so we see here that Jesus, he's really the point of everything. 
And now, when we look at the book of Colossians, we've got to remember what's happening. So uh, Paul's writing to the church at Colossae, to uh, the Colossians, and he's writing uh, to encourage them, but he's also writing them to combat some false teaching that had begun to creep in. This Colossian heresy is what uh, commentators will talk about. And we're not completely sure all of the ins and outs of what this false teaching was, but what we know is that Jews and Greeks had begun to creep into the church and they had begun to, to spread this, uh, this false teaching that you, you needed to be physically circumcised to be saved. And then the Greeks were coming in and they were spreading this thing called Gnosticism, which is just that you needed to have this secret knowledge to be saved, that your salvation w- wasn't about putting your faith in Jesus. Your salvation w- was about laying hold of this secret knowledge that would light this, uh, this spark inside of you. And, and so Paul's writing to the Colossians and he's not really introducing anything new as much as he's just reminding them of what they already know. And, and so here in verses 15 to 20 of Colossians 1, what many commentators believe is that this, this passage was actually an early hymn from the church or, or an early creed that the church would have recited, that the church would have been familiar with. And so Paul, he's, he's picking up on this and he's, he's reciting it. He's, he's reminding the Colossians of what they already know. He, he's reminding them of who they already know Jesus to be. And so here in verse, 10, verse 15, he says, he is the image of the invisible God. Now that word image, it just means that he's the same form as something else, that Jesus puts flesh and bone on who we know God to be. When Paul says he's the image of the invisible God, what he's saying is he's reminding us that that our God is not subject to being seen, right? Uh, Our God, God the Father, is spirit, and yet Jesus is the image of that invisible God. And so Jesus, in a way that only Jesus can do, Jesus is the image of who God is. And so Jesus takes everything that we know to be true about God and he puts flesh and bones on it. He, he shows us exactly who our God is. And so he says that, that Jesus, he's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. Now, when he talks about firstborn of creation, he's, he's not talking about physically being born, right? He's, some of you who are the oldest, you're saying, yeah, Jesus is like me. I'm not the oldest, I'm the youngest, which just means that my parents love me the most, right? Uh, but that's not, what, that's not what Paul's talking about here whenever he says that Jesus is the firstborn. He's not talking about that Jesus is the first created one. Right? Jesus isn't created, Jesus is eternal, right? He's the eternal son of God. He is the holy, uncreated one. Jesus is eternal, he's not created. We've gotta make sure that we understand that, right? So when he's talking about firstborn, if he's not created, what's he, talk, what's he talking about there? Well, he's talking about status, right? He, he's talking about Jesus's uniqueness in his rule and his sovereignty over creation. He, he's talking about Jesus as the firstborn of creation, that he's the one who, who rules and reigns over all of creation. And he keeps going in verse 16. He says, for by him, all things were created, See, this is the power of Jesus, that, that he is the agent of creation, that everything was created by Jesus. Now, here we have an important point, right? We can't separate the, the work and the will of God the Father and God the Son. So what we have here in Colossians 1 is we've got this picture of, of how the Trinity operates, right? That in creation, that, that when God said, let there be light, that God the Father said, let there be light through God the Son. 
right? That Jesus is the agent of creation. Jesus is the way that God has created, that everything has been created by Jesus. He says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. What Paul's doing there is he's saying, look, there's nothing that was created. There's nothing that has been created. There's nothing in all of the universe that was not, that has not been created by Jesus, right? That Jesus, as the firstborn of creation, that he has that unique privilege, that unique status to rule and to reign over what he has created. And so there's nothing that we can find that Jesus doesn't know about because Jesus created it all. One of my favorite things to do is uh, to watch documentaries about the ocean, right? It's kind of like the final frontier. And, and you watch these documentaries about the ocean, and it seems like they're always finding some kind of new, really ugly fish or, or some kind of weird something that they didn't know existed, right? Jesus knew because Jesus created it, right? There's no surprise in creation that Jesus says, wow, I wasn't expecting that because Jesus created it all. It says that he created everything, right? Visible and invisible. And then he says, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Now, it's kind of an interesting list that Paul would throw out there, these thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities. See, what Paul's doing there is he's actually speaking directly to uh, these false teachers that had crept into Colossae. See, these false teachers, one of the things that they had, they had started teaching was that as Christians, that you needed to have this great fear of kind of the, the angelic realm of the spiritual world, and, and, and you had to constantly be on guard. But what Paul is saying is he's saying Jesus made all of that, and so if you belong to Jesus, you have nothing to fear. Right? If you belong to Jesus, you have nothing to worry about because Jesus rules over it all. He says, all things were created through him. And then look at that that last phrase there in verse 16. All things were created through him and for him. So everything in all of creation was created for Jesus, right? You were created for Jesus. I was created for Jesus. Our purpose is to bring glory to Jesus. Our purpose is to make much of Jesus, you know, our purpose in life, it's not a secret. Right? It's not hidden. You know, sometimes when I think, well, well what, what is God calling me to do? What is God's will for my life? God's will for your life is that you would make much of Jesus. Right? God's will for your life is that you would leverage whatever, wherever he has put you, whatever you do to, to bring glory to him. His purpose for your life is not hidden. His purpose for your life is not like an Easter egg that you've got to search for. His purpose for your life is that you would know him, that you would be known by him, and then that you would make much of him, right? That you would give everything that you are, everything that you have to make much of Jesus. See, when we attempt to live for other purposes, things go bad. When we, tempt, when we attempt to live for things other than making much of Jesus, other than bringing glory to God, then that's when we end up frustrated. That's when we end up discouraged. That's when we, we end up tired and, and unsure of where to go and, and what to do next. You know, I've never been tempted to take my, my car and to drive it off the end of a boat ramp to see if it would float. 
right? I've never been tempted to, to, drive my, to drive my truck off of a boat ramp and try to pull my kids on an inner tube because it would be fun to go tubing. I've never been tempted to do that because that's not why my truck was made, right? My truck isn't a boat. It wasn't made for the water. If I were to drive my truck into the water, it would sink, right? If I, if I were to drive my truck into the water, things would go bad, how ridiculous would it be if I, if I drove my truck off the boat ramp into the water and then someone shows up to help me and, and I tell them how angry I am that my, my truck has sank because I was just trying to take my kids skiing. Right? I was just trying to take my kids to have some fun. They would look at me like I'm crazy, right? Because that's not, that's not why my truck was created. My, my truck wasn't created to, to take my kids skiing in the water. In the same way, when... We attempt to, to live our lives for a purpose other than, which, other than for which we were created. Things go bad, right? We sink. But then what we do is we get frustrated that things went bad, right? We get frustrated that things didn't go the way that we had planned when in reality, we were never created to live life in that way in the first place. See, the... The result of sin is brokenness, right? We experience brokenness. Whether it be physical or emotional or relational, we experience brokenness. But then what we, what we do whenever we experience brokenness is, is outside of Jesus, we try to fix it on our own. Right? Outside of Jesus, we try to fix our brokenness on our own. And so we try to, we try to put our own little band-aids on it rather than taking that brokenness to Jesus. But see, those little band-aids never work because they were never intended to work. Right? They were never meant to work. The, the purpose for your life isn't that you would chase this thing or that thing. The purpose for your life is that you would chase hard after Jesus and that you would make much of Jesus because Jesus is the point of everything. Right? Jesus is why you are alive today. Jesus is why you are here today. All things, look at verse 16, all things were created through him and for him. Now that word all, it has this funny meaning. It means all, right? It means everything, that all things were created through Jesus and all things were created for Jesus. And so we see in this passage that, that Jesus is the point of everything. Next we see this, that Jesus is necessary for everything. Jesus is necessary for everything. He's not just the one who created everything, but he's the one who holds it all together. Look at verse 17. Paul writes, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. In verse 17, he says that, that Jesus is before all things. This is a kind of a marker of time. He's saying that Jesus is eternal. He's talking about the, the pre-existent Jesus there, the, the Jesus who existed before being born of a virgin, right? It, at Christmas, right, at the virgin birth, that's not when Jesus comes into being. Jesus has existed for eternity, right? He's the eternal son of God. It says that this Jesus who's before all things, that it, he holds all things together. He's the one who creates and he's the one who sustains. Now that, that phrase hold together, it's, it's one word and it, it really just means to endure or to exist. So if you look back at verse 17, He's before all things, and in him, in Jesus, all things endure. 
all things exist. That, that Jesus, even right now, is holding the entire universe in place simply by his power, right? That the reason that this world isn't spinning out of control is because Jesus is in control, right? So, so what that means is that even whenever you feel like your world is spinning out of control, even when you feel like you are not in control, the good thing to remember is that you are not in control, but Jesus is, Right, so, so that even as things happen in your life and you begin to wonder, can I take it anymore? Can, can I handle this anymore? Can it get any worse that no matter what happens, the only things that are happening are what Jesus is in control of? There's never anything that happens in this world that Jesus isn't in control of. There's never anything that happens in this world that Jesus is not sovereign over. And so in verse 18, what happens is Paul starts to move from the greater to the lesser. So in verse 17, he's, he's been talking about the universe, right? He's been talking about how in him all things hold together. But then in verse 18, he's gonna move and kind of start to zero in. And he says, he's the head of the body, the church. And so we know this, uh, this picture that Paul uses of the church. We could go to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and we could see Paul start to tease out this idea of the church as the body more. But here he says that Jesus is the head of the church. So what does it mean that Jesus is the head of the church? Well, that word head, it really carries kind of two ideas. First, it means that he's the source of the church. So that the church exists because of Jesus, right? That Jesus died to redeem the church, that, that Jesus paid for the church with his life. And so the church exists. And when we say the church, we're not just talking about central church, right? We're talking about the church universal. We're talking about believers throughout all time and all space, that the church exists because Jesus died and rose again. But it's not just that Jesus is the source of the church, but it's also that Jesus is the leader of the church, Jesus is the leader of the church. That means that, that the church, that we as believers, that we're not following a pastor. We're not following this person or that person. We're following Jesus, right? That, that the goal isn't that we would give our lives to, to following this guy over here or, or that person over there, but that the goal is that we would give our lives to following Jesus. And the best way that we give our lives in service to Jesus is in the church of which he is the head, right? And that's why the New Testament makes such a big deal about the church, I think sometimes people think that, that churches and being committed to the church is the pastor's idea, right? It's not my idea uh, that we would have a church that we would come in and we would worship together on Sundays. No, uh, that idea came from Jesus, right? That idea, it came from him. It's his design that we as believers would gather together as the church to be reminded of who he is and what he's done and what he's calling us to. And so if Jesus is the head of the church, that means that Jesus is the one we follow. Jesus is the one that we give our lives to. And so he says, he's the head of the body. And then he goes on and he says this. He says, he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So he's the beginning. He's, he's moving kind of from the corporate to the individual. So Jesus, he begins the process that Paul's going to outline. And so there's that, that word firstborn again, right? Firstborn from the dead. 
Now, we know that Jesus isn't the first person to be raised from the dead because Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. But what Paul's talking about here is this is a different kind. This is a new kind of resurrection. This is a new kind of creation. See, Lazarus was raised from the dead to show Jesus' power. Jesus was raised from the dead to show that he has conquered sin and death and all that it entails, right? And, and, and all of its effects. Now notice, notice how Paul ends verse 18. He says he's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Now, Paul doesn't say that in many things Jesus might be preeminent or that in most things Jesus might be preeminent or that in some things Jesus might be preeminent. No, he says that in all things Jesus would be preeminent. It means in life, Jesus is first. In your family, Jesus is first. In finances, Jesus is first. In your occupation, Jesus is first. See, Jesus doesn't share his throne with anyone or anything. Jesus doesn't share his place. But Paul says that Jesus is the preeminent. He, he's to be first in everything. See, the difficult thing about first place is that there can only be one, Right? There, there can only be one first place. A, a few weeks ago, uh, our boys, their, their t-ball team tied. Uh, and they, they, they were excited about, about tying because they didn't lose. And so I reminded them of the Bear Bryant quote about tying, that tying is like kissing your sister, right? Uh, no, one, no one wants to tie. No, no one gets excited about tying because there can only be one person who wins, Right? There can only be one person in first place. This week, uh, I spent a, a few days in Louisville, Kentucky for a pastor's conference and, and I flew up and I flew up on Southwest Airlines. Now, if you've never flown on Southwest, then what you've got to know is that Southwest, you don't have assigned seats, right? On Southwest, you check in 24 hours before your flight and you want to check in just as soon as you can because then that determines the order that you're going to board, and so on the way up, I, I checked in early. I got a great seat. Now on the way back, I thought I had checked in early enough and, and I pull up my boarding pass and my boarding group is like B35 or something like that. Uh, and so I'm automatically angry, right? Uh, so I get, I get to the airport. We, we get there on time and they start calling people to board and the A group gets up and I just glared at them. Right? I, I just hope that they could, they could feel my derision and my anger at them. And then A boards, and then they call for B, and so B starts lining up, and so I get in line for B, and, and I'm like B35 or 45, and a lady comes up to me, and she says, now what number are you? And I, I tell her, and she says, oh, well, I'm B8. I was like, oh, I hate you, right? Uh, because I want to get on the plane, right? I'm going to end up in a middle seat. And so finally, uh, it's my turn to board, and I'm, I'm walking down that center aisle, and I'm looking, and the flight attendant is saying, it's only middle seats left, right? It's only middle seats left. And so uh, I find this guy, and I, I sit down next to him between uh, these two, and I'm thinking, this guy's probably not a Christian, right? Because uh, he beat me in the boarding. And, and he was, right? He, he was. Not only was he Christian, but he was a Gator fan, so he's gonna be sitting closer to the throne. But, but we all, we, we all want to be first, right? We, we don't like to share first place. See, Jesus doesn't share first place, Jesus doesn't tie with anyone. 
Jesus doesn't compete for first place. See, Paul says here that in all things, he would be preeminent. Not in some things, not in many things, not in most things, but that in all things, Jesus would be preeminent. That's really the theme of this section of the letter of Colossians, that in everything, Jesus would be preeminent. And so we've got to ask ourselves, is Jesus preeminent in your life today? Is Jesus preeminent in your life right now? You might say, well, Ethan, how do I know? How do I know if Jesus is preeminent in my life? Well, I think there's a couple ways that you can tell, but I think there's one way that we can start. What does your bank account say? If you were to go through and you were to look at the way you spend your money, would that say that Jesus is first or all of these other things are first? That's why Jesus says where your money is, there your heart will be also. So is Jesus preeminent in your life? See, I think sometimes we fear that if, if we make Jesus preeminent, if we put Jesus first in our lives, then that means that he's gonna kill all of our fun. If I make Jesus first in my life, then that means I can't do this and that. If I make Jesus preeminent in my life, then that means that that I'm not gonna have any joy and I'm not gonna have any pleasure. But, But I can tell you, not just from what the Bible says, but also from what I've experienced, is that when you make Jesus first in your life, when you make Jesus preeminent in your life, you are not settling for less joy, you're attaining more joy. You're not settling for less pleasure, you're getting more pleasure. You're not settling for less happiness, you're getting more happiness because Jesus is the reason we were created. Right, we were created to make Jesus preeminent. We were created to make Jesus first. And so whenever we live in light of the way that we were created, we don't experience less joy, we experience more joy because that's why he has created us. Right, that's why we are here. And so we see in this passage that that Jesus is necessary for everything. Next, finally, we see this, that Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything. Look at verse 19. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. See, Jesus doesn't just rule and Jesus doesn't just sustain, but he also restores. See, here in verse 19, Paul's gonna unpack a little bit more what he started in verse 15. So he he says that in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So the fullness of God, what that is, is that's the the sum total of all of the divine power, all of the divine attributes, all that God is and does resides in Jesus. So we say that the, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. What we're saying is, is that all of God's power is in Jesus, that nothing needs to be added to Jesus to make him better. See, this is good news for us. This is why we're called to make Jesus preeminent in our lives. We're we're called to make Jesus preeminent in our lives because there's no one and there's nothing that would be better for us to make preeminent than Jesus. See, Jesus never lets us down. He's always faithful. He's always good. He's always righteous. Here in verse 20, we see how Jesus changes everything. See that through him, through Jesus, he's reconciling to himself all things, 
that God is reconciling to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. See, everything's gotta be reconciled. Everything needs to be restored because sin has marred everything. Everything has been tainted, has been broken by sin. Now, what's so amazing to me about verse 20 here is that who is it that takes the initiative to start this reconciliation? It's not me. It's not you. It's God, right? Look back at that verse again. Verse 19, for in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. It was God's idea to reconcile us. God took the initiative. The reason that that Jesus makes peace by the blood of his cross is because it was God's idea. And isn't it good news that it doesn't say that he makes peace by the blood of our cross? but he makes peace by the blood of his cross. Now, this isn't some kind of universalism that because of what Jesus has done, all of a sudden that means that everyone is saved. No, what it means is that because of what Jesus has done, now everyone can be saved, right? That Jesus has done everything necessary for us to be saved. Verse 20, we see that there's a a price to our forgiveness, that forgiveness always comes at a cost. So how are we reconciled? Where does this peace come from? It comes from the blood of of the cross. See, forgiveness has always come by death. If you were to flip over to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, you'd read that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness, there, there is no remission of sins. But I think we get a great picture of this idea of peace by blood in Exodus 12. So if you were to flip over to Exodus 12, you, you would read the story of the Passover that every Israelite house must sacrifice a lamb and and spread its blood over the door. And whenever every Israelite home does that, then then God's gonna pass over that home. And rather than bringing death to that home, they're going to live. In Exodus 12, verse 13, we read this, that the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. See, God promised forgiveness not based on who was in the house, but based on the blood of the lamb. See, the the peace that we have, the peace that we read about here in verse 20, it's not based on you, it's based on Jesus. So in Exodus 12, what we don't have is we don't have God passing over the homes and then seeing that blood's on the door and then going inside to see if these people really deserve it. Right? We don't have God going inside in Exodus 12 and saying, now, have these people really been good enough? Have they really been good enough? Have they really kept the law well enough? No, the, the only thing that we see is that when the blood's on the door, they're passed over. See, in the same way that, that Jesus makes peace by the blood of his cross, that, that it's not about what you have or haven't done. It's not about how sinful you have been or how how righteous you have been. It's not about how good or how bad. It's about how powerful Jesus is, right? It's about how good his atonement was. It's about how great his sacrifice has been. And so you and I, our forgiveness, the peace that we have isn't peace that we have won. It's not peace that we have accomplished. It's peace that's been given to us. It's peace that's been made by the blood of the cross. 
And so we can rest in that today. In fact, that's where we find our hope and that's where we find our strength. See, we ask that question about being, making Jesus preeminent. Well, where do you get the strength? Where do you get the power to make Jesus preeminent in your life? You get the strength and the power to make Jesus preeminent in your life by the blood that was shed for you, right? By the cross, that this is, this is grace-driven preeminence. This is grace-driven, grace-fueled obedience. See, Jesus is eternal. He's the eternal son of God, and that is really eternally good news for us. See, if Jesus is really the Son of God, if Jesus really is eternal, then Jesus really must be preeminent. And the preeminence of Jesus, like we've already said, is good news for us. See, in the, the making Jesus preeminent, when we, we lay our lives down at the feet of Jesus, that's really that's where we find life. It's where we find freedom. See, you and I can chase after all of these other things. Because here's the truth. We all make something or someone preeminent in our lives. Maybe it's us, right? Maybe we're making ourselves preeminent. Maybe we're making our our husband or our wife or our kids preeminent. Maybe we're making our jobs preeminent. Maybe maybe we're making our bank accounts or our retirement accounts or, or our pleasure preeminent, but we all make someone or something preeminent. And, and here's the truth. When we make anything and anyone other than Jesus preeminent, we always end up frustrated. We always end up discouraged. We always end up wanting more. But when we make Jesus preeminent, when we, we make Jesus the Lord of our lives, then we find pleasure, we find joy, we find happiness. And so rather than than constantly trying to strive and to find this this thing that's gonna make me happy, this this thing that's gonna gonna bring me joy, this this thing that's gonna make me feel good, no, whenever we put Jesus in that, that spot, when we put Jesus in that place of preeminence, then we stop striving. Right? We stop running, we, we stop looking because we have found the pearl of great price, right? We found that thing, that one that finally satisfies. And, and, and that finding, that making Jesus preeminent, this isn't something that we do once and then we walk away from, right? We've got to constantly be fighting, constantly be working, constantly be, be focused on keeping Jesus preeminent. But, but that fighting in us This is the beauty of the gospel, right? That fighting in us, that's not even us doing the work. That's the spirit working in us. Because here's the the truth. You and I are far too weak to keep Jesus there, right? I I heard Alistair Begg say this week, uh, he said, if you can't preach good sermons, quote good hymns. Uh, I think there's some some truth to that. one One of my favorite hymns, there's a line in it. It says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. See, I have that that proneness to wander, right? We all have that proneness to wander. And and that proneness to wander, when we're we're doing that, we're we're saying, hey, I, I don't want to look at Jesus as preeminent right now. I want to I wander over to this thing. I want to I try this over here. And so what, what, what does that hymn call us to do? 
Call us to do what the Bible calls us to do, right? Here's my heart, Lord. I give, Lord, my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And, and so maybe this morning you say, Ethan, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm trying to follow Jesus, but I feel my heart wandering. I, I, I have this, this temptation this, to want to wanna make things other than Jesus preeminent. How, how do I fight against that? How do I fight against making Jesus second or, or making Jesus less than? Well, you fight against that by continually looking to Jesus. You fight against that by, by continually beholding Jesus because we become what we behold. And so if we're, we're constantly keeping our gaze, we're, we're constantly turning our eyes back to Jesus, then we're, we're fighting that fight of faith to, to keep Jesus preeminent. Maybe you say, Ethan, I, I've been looking everywhere for this joy. I've been looking everywhere for this happiness. I've been looking everywhere for this peace. I've been trying all of these other things and none of it's working. Maybe you feel like you've been trying to make peace in your own effort. And maybe the reason the Lord has brought you here today is because it's time for you to stop trying to make peace by your own effort and start trusting in the peace that was won for you at the cross. See, the, the peace that you try to manufacture is fake and it doesn't last. But the peace that Jesus won at the cross is eternal. The, the peace that Jesus won at the cross is freedom and life for us. And so maybe this morning, maybe you need to trust Jesus for the first time. Maybe this morning you, you need to lay your life down. And, and rather than you trying to strive and rather than, than you trying to work and, and rather than you trying to be good enough and, and rather than you trying to be preeminent, maybe this morning you need to say, you know what, I'm done with all of that and I'm gonna just trust in the peace that Jesus won at the cross. So here in just a minute, I'm gonna pray and, and we're gonna sing. And so may, maybe as we sing, maybe you just need to stop and you need to pray and you need to, to ask the Lord to help you to keep your gaze fixed on Jesus. Or, or maybe this morning, maybe this morning you need to pray and mean it for the first time. That God, I get that I'm a sinner. I get that I have tried to put everything else in first place and God, it's not working. And so God, I need you to save me. I need you to forgive me of my sins and I need you to make me alive in Christ. Maybe this morning you need to give your life to Jesus for the first time. Man, if that's you, we would love to celebrate with you. We would love to, to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. We, we'd love to walk alongside you as you start this new, this new walk with Jesus. And so you can send a text, if that's you, to, to 407-338-4024. Number's on the screen. You can send that text and, and you can just put your name and you can put Jesus or pray or whatever it needs to be. And, and there's someone that's gonna respond to you and, and set up a time for us to have a conversation or maybe just start having that conversation right there. Or you can walk out these doors and you can go to our next steps room right out there in our lobby and there's people in there who are, who are ready to, to talk with you and pray with you about but what does it look like to follow Jesus? Or at the end of the service, I'll, I'll be down here. You can come find me and we can talk about what does it look like to follow Jesus? 
Maybe you say, Ethan, I've, I've done that. I, I trusted Jesus. Maybe, maybe you were here last, last Sunday. Maybe you celebrated Easter with us. Maybe last Sunday you gave your heart, you gave your life to Jesus. Man, we want to be able to celebrate with you. Here's the, the first step to making Jesus preeminent in your life. It, it's simple, right? The, the first step to make Jesus preeminent in your life, to let everyone know that you belong to Jesus, is by following him in baptism, right? By celebrating with others that, hey, I have buried and raised with Christ. We'd love to celebrate with you. You heard Allie talk about the beginning of the service, baptism and burgers. It's, it's coming up in the, the next couple of weeks. And we'd love to celebrate with you at baptism and burgers. You can send a text and we'll, we'll get you all that information. Come find me and talk with us. We'll, we would love to talk with you about that. Maybe say, hey, I need to, I need to get more serious about following Jesus, serving his church. Man, we would love to help you engage here at Central. We've got Discover Central happening this afternoon. I, I talked to Allie just a few minutes ago, and she said, we've got room for, for about six or eight more. So maybe you'd say, hey, I need to be at Discover Central. I need to learn more about this church. Well, hey, come on, right? You can talk with me, talk with Allie. We would love to have you tonight. I'm gonna pray, and we're gonna sing, and we're gonna respond to the good news that Jesus has given us peace by the cross. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy and your goodness today. Lord, thank you that, that by the blood of Jesus, because of his death on the cross, we can have peace. We can be reconciled. We can be made right with you. And Father, I pray that we wouldn't, we wouldn't take that for granted, but God, that we would celebrate that fact that we've been made right with you, that our sins have been forgiven. Father, I pray that Central would be a church where Jesus is preeminent. Father, I pray that, that this would be a place, that we would be a people where, where Jesus is on the throne. And God, we know that that happens by Jesus being on the throne of every heart and every life. And so Lord, I pray that you would help us to fight to keep Jesus on the throne. It's in his name that we pray. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at gocentralchurch.org.